It's an evening of old-time radio. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to the story of South of the Border, another exciting adventure from the casebook of Gregory Hood. And I'd like to ask you if you know one sure way to turn a simple meal into a regular feast. Just serve that meal with a good Petri dinner wine. Let's say Petri California Burgundy. Petri Burgundy, you know, is the perfect companion for any kind of meat or meat dish. It's a red wine, just as rich in flavor as it is in color. And if you want to know how really good it is, serve that Petri Burgundy with a hamburger cooked the way you like it. Tender, delicious. Or try that Petri Burgundy with a savory beef stew. Or with pork chops. And, of course, if you can wangle it, try Petri Burgundy with a thick, juicy steak. Ah, believe me, that's eating. Eating that's, well, that's out of this world. And believe me, Petri Burgundy is a wine that's clear, fragrant, and delicious. A wine that you can serve to your friends proudly. Of that you can be sure. Remember those five letters, P-E-T-R-I. They spell the proudest name in the long history of fine wines. Well, it's Monday night in San Francisco, and we have a date with Gregory Hood and his friend Sanderson Taylor. Tonight's rendezvous is at Gregory's apartment, high on Knob Hill and overlooking the Golden Gate. Let's join him there, shall we? Harry Bartell, how are you? Evening, Sandy. Where's Gregory? Can't you hear him? Oh. Hello, Harry. Evening, Greg. That sounds swell. It is nice, isn't it? Your latest composition? No, this isn't mine, Harry. I wish it were. This is one of Richard Gump's compositions. He calls it Un Coeur Brisé, Broken Heart. Seems to me he's something of a rival of yours, Greg. He's a famous importer, and now it turns out he's an amateur composer of distinction, too. Yes, Harry, but don't imagine there's any rivalry between them. They're the best of friends. Oh, there's distinct rivalry between us on the golf course, Sandy. (laughs) We played this afternoon. If I hadn't hooked my drive on the 13th, I swear I'd have beaten him. Oh, on the way home, he took me by his store and gave me a private showing of his wonderful collection of Stubin glass. It's a must on your list, Harry. I'll go there tomorrow. Uh, now, Greg, how's about... Tonight's to... story is coming right up. There. You see, uh, Dick Gump and I work very closely in the importing business. On this particular occasion, we crossed swords with a very slimy dealer by the name of Severin Stackpool. It was to forestall Stackpool that I decided recently to fly down to Mexico City. I'd heard that the Royal Jade Collection of Grosnia was for sale, so I decided to be in at the bidding on the ground floor. The Royal Collection of Grosnia and Jade sounds pretty impressive, Greg, but, uh, and I don't want to appear stupid, where is Grosnia? It's one of the more obscure Balkan countries. The Royal Family, complete with the priceless Jade Collection, which four generations of Grosnian rulers had been assembling, left the country and came to Mexico City, but uh, I'll come to that in a moment. As soon as I heard about the Jade Collection, I naturally got in touch with Dick Gump. As you know, he has one of the finest collections of jade in the world. 
But Dick was tied up, so he arranged to purchase the stuff jointly. Sandy and I lost no time in hopping the next plane south. When we landed in Mexico City, it was one of those cool, fresh days. Bright sun, but no oppressive. A very smooth trip, Gregory. Very, very. You know, Sandy, I haven't been to Mexico City for a couple of years. It's good to be back. Ah, it's a great spot. Yes, I've always liked it. In a way, it isn't Mexican any more than San Francisco is purely American. It's a city for citizens of the world. Hmm. And very attractive some of those citizens are, too. Uh, I wondered how long it would be before you spotted that girl standing at the barrier. Oh, no. She's coming over to us. Dobre den, Grigoro. Prinitsomin. Uh, I beg your pardon? So? You do not wish to speak Gersnian before your American friend? Very well. You would come with me, No. You're right. I'm afraid the answer is no. She spoke in Grosnian. Did she know we were coming about to Jade? Well, I sent Count Pablo a wire. He's the official guardian of the royal collection. Are, are you an emissary of his, young lady? I do not understand this talk of Count Pavlin and of Jade. I only know that my orders are that you must come with me. Who gave you those orders? I cannot answer that question. Well, normally I'd be delighted to join you, but I'm here on urgent business. But if you'll give me your phone number, I'll call you when I'm in the clear. Do not make fun of me. I'm going to make you come with me. I don't see how, darling. We're two great big husky men, and you're just a whisp of a girl. Even if you're a judo expert, I think you'll find it's tough sledding. You will come with me, alone. I rather think I will at that. So long, Sandy. Wait, Gregory. What, 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 what on earth? You... Hey, young lady, what are you up don't to? Don't yell, Sandy. She might conceivably lose control of the revolver that's fitted so snugly in my ribs. Goodbye, Sandy. But, but, this is... This is kidnapping in broad daylight. It's not possible. Where's your chauffeur driving us? To the house of Prince Petru Pirasol. Where else? Who is he and why are we going there? Oh, you know as well as I do. Was not this mainly your idea? Look, darling, you must have me mixed up with someone else. I've never heard of Prince Pirasol. My name is Gregory Hood, and I'm an importer from San Francisco. You're still a playboy at heart, are you not, Grigoru? Sure, but I'm not your Grigoru. By the way, what's your name? You know it as well as your own. Yes, but as my name seems to be a matter for discussion, it would be simpler if you told me yours. My name is Maria. Maria Crane. And your nationality, Maria? What game do you play, Grigoru? I am Grosnian, of course, just as you are. As I am? This begins to make Alice in Wonderland look like a whodunit. Now, listen, Maria, this Quiet, is... Quiet, Grigoru. We arrive at Prince's house. Follow me. And no tricks, please. As you remember, I am not an amateur with a revolver. Ah, oh, Prince Firasol is waiting at the door. He will be so happy to see you again. Grigoru, my dear, dear boy. Come in. I've been waiting your arrival with such anxiety. You mean... You recognize me, too? <laughs> what rubbish are you talking? How could I fail to recognize you, Grigoru? Hey, come in, my boy. Come in. I have so much to tell you. Uh, we will go into my study. You wish me to stay, Prince Pearson? Uh, no, Maria. You may leave us. And uh, you have done well, my child. You brought him here most speedily. I am pleased with you. Uh, thank you, Prince Pearson. Ah, and now, my dear Grigoru. Let me look at you. It warms my old heart to see you. You must allow me an embrace. Uh, look, this is all very touching, but will you give me some faint idea of what goes? You have me kidnapped at the airport. Oh, that pained me to have to 
do that, my dear Grigoro, but I could take no chances. You know how difficult it has been for me to handle you in the past. Let me ask you one simple question, Prince. Who the heck do you think I am? <laughs> Who should I think you are? I, your old and trusted Prime Minister. Prime Minister? Who should you be but Grigoro the Sixteenth, hereditary king of Grosnia? Lieutenant Valdez, how many times do I have to tell you my friend was kidnapped before my very eyes? But, Mr. Taylor, how can you expect me to take your story seriously? It's perfectly true. My dear Mr. Taylor, I am interested in matters of criminality. I know the activities of Mr. Gregory Hood, and I also have heard of his, uh, shall I say, his extracurricular activities. What do you mean, Lieutenant? He is notorious uh, lady killer, I understand. Well, what's that got to do with anything? A great deal, I am sure. You have told me he neglects his business to go off with a beautiful girl and then invent the absurdly thin story that he is being kidnapped. Should I concern myself or my men with your friend's love life? I insist that you try and locate him, Lieutenant. I'll appeal to the consulate. I... I doubt that Mr. Hood will thank you for your interference. Now, Mr. Taylor, I'm afraid I must say goodbye to you. I have serious work to attend to. Prince Ferrisol, I tell you my name is Gregory Hood. I'm an importer and I live in San Francisco. Ah, yes, Gregory. We are used to your many ingenious disguises and alter egos. But the time has come when you can shirk your royal responsibilities no longer. Your life as a playboy must finish. Oh, so I've been a playboy, haven't I? Ah, you have left a trail of broken hearts from Paris to Buenos Aires. But this must cease, Gregory. It is an unfortunate necessity of politics that a monarchist party must offer the people a monarch. That, Grigoro, is why I've had you brought here. But how did you find me? I mean, Grigoro. Only, of course, you hadn't found him. What I mean is, what makes you think I am he? We knew you would come here to Mexico City for a very good reason. Anitra is in town. She's dancing at the Gato Azul. We know that for all your wanderings, you always return to her. I can see that I might have certain tastes in common with myself. But, Count Firasul, this game's gone far enough. It's a case of mistaken identity. Let me call the American consulate and prove to you who I am. No, Gregor. We dare not let you near a telephone as yet. Not until you have agreed entirely to our plan. Oh, look here. This is crazy. You can't hold me here against my will. Oh, yes, we can, my dear boy. And if you have any notions of trying to escape, I might remind you that Maria will be guarding you. Come, uh, let us discuss this in the morning. You'll have a clearer mind then and see my reasons. And now I will show you to your room. Queen Helena, your wife, is waiting for you there. My wife? comfortable in our hotel, Mr. Taylor? Yes, thanks. As comfortable as a man can be when his best friend's disappeared. Um, haven't been any messages, have there? No, Mr. Taylor. You have reported his disappearance to the police? Yes, and they won't take me seriously. Nor will the consulate. Ah, oh, excuse me. Hotel Sebastoria. San Francisco. Mr. Gregory Hood? Uh, just a moment, please. San Francisco is calling Mr. Hood. I'll take the call. You can take it in the booth over there, senor. Very well. Mr. 
Anderson Taylor speaking. Hello, Sandy. This is Richard Kump. Oh, hello, Dick. Is Greg there? Dick, he's been kidnapped. By a girl. By a girl? Sandy, is that uh, Mexican son a little too hot for you? I'm not kidding, Dick. The girl had a revolver in his ribs. I've been going absolutely frantic. Neither the police nor the consulate will take me seriously. Well, look, Sandy, the vice consul is a friend of mine. I'll call him as soon as I hang up. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I've news for you. I just got a tip that Saverin Stackpool got wind that you and Greg left on that Grosnian Jade deal. He flew out on a chartered plane four hours ago. You must find Greg and tell him to close the deal as soon as it's humanly possible. <laughs> Now, Grigoru, I shall leave you and Queen Elena together. Such a handsome couple. Ah, how splendid the pair of you would look standing on a balcony with you cheering people below you. Uh, talk some sense to him, Elena. Well, Grigoru? Uh, let's settle this down, Charade, once and for all. You're supposed to be my wife. You should know whether I'm me or not. Oh, I do not know what you mean, Grigoru. All I know is that you are my husband and that I love you very much. Heaven help me. Holy smoke, not you too. Now look, darling, what's the game? Knowing me as well as you as must... As well as any stranger in your harem. Oh, do they have harems in Grosnia? Oh, I have loved you, Grigoru. Even though my father arranged our marriage purely as a political move, I shall probably always love you. And you will undoubtedly never be under the same roof with me, save when protocol demands it. I should hate you, Grigory. Yet in my heart I find nothing but love and pity for us both. And now, will you kiss me goodnight? Or is that asking too much? No, Elena. I don't think that's asking too much. Good night. Oh, must it be good night, Grigory? I'm afraid so, Elena. I, uh, I have a busy time ahead of me. Ah. Then au revoir, my love. Au revoir. This is becoming embarrassing. I've got to get out of here. What? Oh, the window's unlocked. Maybe I can... Oh. Hello, Maria. I was afraid you might be out there. There was a time when you were glad of my company, Gregor. Uh, I don't doubt it, Maria. But on those occasions, I imagine you didn't tote a shiny automatic. I also doubt whether you perched yourself outside my windows. Uh, won't you come in? I'm sure it's getting chilly out there. I want to talk to you. Very well, but not rich. Oh, what do you want from me? Complete honesty. Count Firasul and Queen Elena went all emotional over me. You at least have played the thing straight. Yes, Gregor. I think I've played my cards well. Now, look, Maria. One thing we have to get straight right away. I'll swear on any convenient stack of Bibles that I am not King Grigoru the Sixteenth. Of course, I know that. At last, somebody's making sense. Oh, who should know better than I that you are not the king? Oh, I'm delighted, Maria. But what makes you so positive? For the most obvious reason. Did I not help you murder him? <laughs> the rest of Gregory Hood's story in just a second. Just time enough for me to say a good word about a good white wine, Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a delicate wine, 
golden in color with a marvelous, subtle flavor. One sip and you'll know that you've discovered the kind of wine you've long looked for. And wait till you sample that Petri Sauterne served with chicken. Ah, what a combination. And Petri Sauterne is not only great with chicken, but it's swell with any kind of fish or seafood, too. You just taste that Petri Sauterne and see what I mean. To be sure you get a good wine, be sure you get Petri wine. Well, Greg, this is one of the screwiest stories I ever heard. It sounds it, doesn't it, Harry? Yet it's perfectly true. Seems to me like a double case of mistaken identity. That's the way it seemed to me at the time. I figured that Maria had had a boyfriend who was a double for the real king. They had murdered the king and placed me, uh, that is, the boyfriend, in his stead. Mm -hmm. Now they were deliberately letting me, that is, him, be found by the monarchist party to go back to Grosnia and reign. As pretty a little mix-up as ever I heard. How did you get out of it? Well, as Maria made her remarkable statement, I had a sudden inspiration, Harry. I saw a way to play the impossible. Of course I know you're not the real king. Did I not help you murder him? You helped me to... Maria, you may be right at that. I may be. Gregoro, whatever may have happened to your memory, I can assure you that I have not forgotten. I, I can't understand myself. My mind, it's been confused lately. I can't seem to remember things properly. Do you suppose, could I really be the man you think I am? Am I suffering from amnesia? Oh, you poor darling, of course. That explains why you've been acting so strangely. That must be what's wrong. Maria, you have to help me regain my memory. Of course. But what can I do? Uh, I've often heard that a sudden shock can do the trick. Ah, perhaps if I fired this revolver and screamed that you're trying to escape... Uh, no, no, darling, that's a little too violent. I feel that a more psychological treatment might be better. Hmm. Tell me, Maria, I gather that my past has been a trifle sticky. Which of the women in my life were the closest to me? Oh, that is not hard to answer. Anitra, the dancing girl. Oh, yes, yes, Prince Fidasol mentioned her. And she's in Mexico City at the moment, I understand. Yes. She was dancing at the Gato Azul. We know that you would not be able to keep away from her. Always, in whatever country you have been and with whatever women, you have always come back to Anitra. She sounds sensational. She's a devil. She knows that you killed the king, and yet she gave her heart to you before even his funeral had taken place. I'm even more of a cad than I thought. But look, Maria, you want to help me get my memory back, don't you? Yes, I will help you. Well, you're my bodyguard. Now, you escort me to the Gato Azul. Let me take a gander at Anitra. Maybe my memory will come back. Perhaps I will, Gregoru. But I shall keep this revolver handy. Okay, Maria. Uh, by the way, you still call me Gregoru. If we are supposed to have bumped off King Gregoru, how come I still have his name? Because it was agreed you would adopt the name. Your real name when you served the prison term in 1937 was Stefan Ratnik. Something new has been added. So I served a prison term, did I? Curiouser and curiouser. What was my crime? Perhaps it will help your memory if I show you a copy of your police record, Gregor. <clears throat> I have a photostatic copy made from the file. Here. Uh, well, I... The photograph is an exact likeness. Hello, hello. See these fingerprints on the record? Are these supposed to be mine? But of course. Then this, my sweetheart, is an occasion when you're in line for something of a shock. Now, uh, here's my driving license. I want you to compare the two prints. I'm very much afraid you'll find there's a slight discrepancy. Mm. Oh. No, Gregoru. Mm. The prints are identical. What? Let me see that. You must be quite... Holy smoke! They are the same. Of course they are. 
Well, I'm beginning to wonder myself who I am. Well, there's only one way to clear this up, Mario. And that is? You and your revolver must take me to see Anitra, my great love. Come on, darling. Stop glowering at me and let's go. Lieutenant Valdez, this is the fourth time I've come to you tonight. And this time, Mr. Taylor, I must apologize. Perhaps I was unduly skeptical. The American consulate have officially asked us to conduct the search for your friend. <sighs> Thank the Lord Dick Gunn could pull some strings. Well, let's go. But where, my friend? I have no clues, but I can tell you one thing. If you were right in thinking that Mr. Hood was not being held captive, then I'd know where to look for him. Where, Mr. Taylor? In the spot that has the best food, the best wine, and the most attractive dancer in Mexico City. If you are correct as to your friend's taste, I think we will find him. If not, we shall at least spend a pleasant evening for ourselves at Cata Azul. Very shiny, very smooth, very nice. Uh, while we're waiting for Anitra to appear, could I interest you in a rumba? Not this time, Grigoro. You are too full of tricks. If we do not dance, I retain better control of my revolver. A very conscientious escort, aren't you, darling? It's lucky I'm fairly scrupulous. My old father used to say that... Oh, jumping Jehoshaphat. What are you staring at? Look who's sitting at the table across the floor. It's Sandy Taylor. Oh. It is your American friend from the airfield. And from the cut of his companion, I'd venture the opinion that he's a minion of the law. Mario, my love, I'm afraid the honeymoon is over. Sit down, Gregory. Uh-uh. I've got some overdue business to attend to. The lighting here is discreet. Your friend has not seen you. If you leave this table, I shall fire. Mario, give me that revolver. No. Sit down, Gregory. Give me that revolver, darling. Thank you. I'm a weak fool. I could not do it. I could not shoot you, even when they... We'll talk about them later. Come with me, Maria. You're a good girl, and if what I think is true, you may not be too safe. Come on, we'll cut through here. Hi, Sandy. Gregory. Great Scott, man, I've been worried to death about you. I've been a little worried about myself, too, Sandy. This, uh, this is Lieutenant Valdez of the police. Mr. Hood, I'm proud to meet you. And I'm very relieved to meet you, Lieutenant. I need a little police protection. Please, introduce me, Gregor. There's no time for that, darling. Right now, we're all going over to talk to Count Pablo and see if we can buy some jade. Then we'll come back here and do a little celebrating. Well, Gregory, it's turned out all right. You closed the deal with Count Pablo and the jade is out. Yes, but I only got it in the nick of time. You saw that large black limousine drive up to the Count's house as we left? Well, that was Mr. Severin Stackpool. More champagne, Mario? Uh, thank you, Grigoro. How about you, Lieutenant Valdez? Since I am no longer on duty, thank you, Mr. Hood. Gregory, I've got a million questions to ask you. Yes, I thought you might be curious, Sandy. And I, Mr. Hood, as a humble member of the police force, am a little curious, too. Here we are back again in the Catalosul. And still I do not know what happened. Your friends tell me that this charming young lady kidnapped you. Uh, what am I to believe? Officially, nothing, Lieutenant. I don't propose to prefer charges. But, Gregory, this girl pulled a gun on you. I know, Sandy, but with so much charm. Maria, darling, how about an explanation? Oh, by the way, is your name really Maria? Oh, yes. And I really am a Grasnian. Who was at the back of this elaborate hunk of play-acting tonight, was it? Severin Stackpole? Yes. Severin Stackpole employ us. 
You know that he have to prevent you seeing Count Pavlo until he arrive here and close the deal. So he devised these plans. But listen, Maria, I know Saffron Stackpool. His mind isn't capable of dreaming up such a wild and woolly plot as this. No, but his best friend here in Mexico City, Antonio Cernidio, the, the crazy mystery writer. Antonio knows your weakness for peculiar plot and whim. Yeah, you're getting an international fame, Gregory. I know, quite flattering. So Antonio dreamed up this crazy plot full of excitement and danger in girls in the hopes that it would keep me occupied until Stackpool got here and closed the jade deal, I suppose. Yes. Prince Virasol, Queen Yelena, and I are all professional actors. We were paid handsomely to play our part. Prince Virasol, Queen Yelena? What's this all about, Gregory? Uh, uh, Gregory. Characters in a fantastic plot. But you can tell Antonio that he overdid it. One double I might have swallowed. But when I was also supposed to be the double of the king's double, it was a little too much. Oh, that is when you know it was a conspiracy. Yes, darling, and the thumbprints were the clincher. It was mathematically impossible that any double could have my exact print. So it was clear that someone had framed the whole thing. Had printed up that description, probably from my driving license, and wire photoed a photostatic copy. It was obvious that the whole affair was a pretext to get me out of the way. And who was the logical person? Saverin Stackpool, QED. Well, I barely know what you're talking about, Gregory, but at least we've closed the deal. Yes, yes, and we have some prized treasures for the Gump collection and some only moderately colossal stuff for my regular customers. Uh, Lieutenant Valdez, you're not asleep, are you? Uh, just drowsy, Mr. Hood. The music is good, the conversation makes no sense, <laughs> and the champagne is excellent. Please continue to talk nonsense. It is so soothing. A very sound point of view. How about you, Maria? Grigoro, I'm worried about Severin Stackpool. He's a dangerous man, and when he knows that I have failed Very him... Very true, Maria. He isn't going to like you a bit. I'm afraid I have a duty to you for the rest of my stay in Mexico City. A duty to me? What is it? From here in, Maria, our roles are reversed. From now on, I am your bodyguard, day and night. Oh, Grigoro... Greg, I don't know how you do it. You know, your stories get better all the time, but you, a king. Harry, when you say that, don't smile. Besides, I was beginning to like the idea. Ah, oh, Greg, I don't know. I... <laughs> I just can't visualize you as a king. Oh? I think I'd look quite dashing with a crown on my head and a queen by my side. Hmm. I'd look kind of dashing myself in that setup. Maybe so. But as my old father would say, he who gets crowned is not always king. Yeah. Well, that's what your old father would say, but did I ever tell you what my old father said? No, what did he say? You can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Yeah, he said it and he was glad. And right, too. <laughs> you said it because Petri wine is always good wine. Well, it's got to be. Look at the long years of skill and experience that go into its making. The Petri family has been making wine for generations. Winemaking is their heritage. A heritage handed on down from father to son, from father to son. So you can take it for granted that the Petri family really knows how to turn luscious, sun-ripened grapes into clear, fragrant, delicious wine. You can take it for granted, too, that the name Petri on a bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle 
is good wine. You just can't go wrong with Petri wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Greg, which story out of your casebook are you going to tell us next week? Next week, Harry, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sandy and I had last fall when we flew up to Yosemite on a fishing trip. It concerns some brook trout that I cooked under the starlight, an uninvited guest, and a sudden tragedy. See you next week, Harry. Petri Wine brings you... Facebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you into the story of the Derringer Society. Another exciting story from the casebook of Gregory Hood. And right now, I'd like to talk about those few minutes you have while you're waiting for dinner every evening. That's the perfect time for a glass of Petri California Sherry. It's the best beginning a good meal ever had. You really feel like you're enjoying the good things of life when you take time for a glass of Petri Sherry. Hold that glass of sherry to the light. Look at it. It's a beautiful dark amber. Yes, and Petri Sherry is clear and fragrant, the way a good wine should be. Now taste it. Ah, you've got something. That Petri Sherry has a real heart-of-the-grape flavor. And look, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, Petri makes a fine dry sherry. It's called Petri Pale Dry. And if you don't know yet which you prefer, the regular sherry or the dry, why not try both? Don't buy one, buy two. But just be sure you always buy Petri. Well, it's Monday night in San Francisco. We have a date with Gregory Hood and his friend and attorney, Sanderson Taylor. Tonight's rendezvous is at that delectable backwater, the Happy Valley Room at the famous Palace Hotel. Let's keep our date, shall we? Harry Bartell, how are you? Hello, Gregory. Evening, Mr. Taylor. Good evening, Harry. We just ordered a glass of sherry. You'll join us, of course. Thanks, Greg. Be very nice. Uh, make that three sherries, Carl. Yes, Mr. Hood. Well, gentlemen, which stories have you selected from the casebook for tonight's episode? A quite remarkable case that we filed under the heading of the Derringer Society. Well, it sounds exciting, but uh, what is the Derringer Society? Well, surely you remember those wonderful early semi-scientific yarns about Dr. Derringer, don't you? Yes, I do, Greg, now that you mention it. Uh, sort of Jules Verne stories, weren't they? Yes, and if you reread them, Harry, you'll realize that they predict just about everything from rockets to the atomic bomb. You're both members of the Derringer Society, I take it. Oh, certainly. In fact, Gregor is the president. Greg, I'm always learning something new about you. Oh, I've been a Derringer fan for a great many years, Harry, so it was only natural that I rounded up a few old cronies here who were equally interested and formed a society. We meet from time to time in a private room in Solaris, uh, uh, in Maiden Lane. On the particular occasion I'm talking about, the evening started out very quietly with an excellent dinner, fine wine, and lots of good talk about the famous Dr. Derringer. And then I rose to introduce the guest of honor. Fellow members of the Derringer Society, you will already have noticed that we have violated our long-standing stag rule. We have a lady among us. Oh, shame! <laughs> oh, no, no, George. We've broken the precedent for a very particular reason. I don't have to remind any of you that the fabulous Dr. Derringer, that great spade-bearded scientific giant, was especially devoted to the tricks played by time. Well, our guest tonight is Miss Julia Hayes. She claims to perform exactly the sort of time-travel prophecy that the great Derringer foretold. 
Miss Hayes, gentlemen, claims to be able to predict future events. Dr. Barton, our psychiatrist member, has been examining Miss Hayes today, and I shall ask him to introduce her. Thank you, Mr. President. Fellow members, I must preface my remarks by stating that if I appear to speak of our guest in a slightly clinical manner, I do so with her full permission. Am I right, Miss Hayes? Yes, Dr. Barton. You may say anything you wish. Thank you, Miss Hayes. Gentlemen, this afternoon I spent some two hours examining our guest. And by all known psychological tests, she's simply normal. Perhaps a trifle below average mentality. But her record has already established the fact that she can often predict future events with surprising accuracy, quite above the laws of chance. And now, gentlemen, Miss Hayes will be quite willing to answer any question. Uh, yes, uh, Sandy Taylor, I think yours was the first hand. Uh, Miss Hayes, may I ask you any outstanding events that you predicted in the past? On May the 4th, 1937, I predicted that two days later the German airship Hindenburg would be destroyed. I predicted the death of both Mussolini and his son-in-law, Canciano. I was right as to both date and time. I am seldom wrong. Miss Hayes, how do you explain your unusual ability? I cannot explain it. It is beyond my understanding. It is a gift. When I let my mind go blank, I can see into the future. Miss Hayes, can you tell me what horse is going to win the second race at Arlington tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Chester, Hayes is our guest. Oh, sorry, Hood. I beg your pardon, Miss Hayes. I was just (coughs) being facetious. Let me ask you a serious question. Are you able to see into the future at will? Yes. If I make my mind a blank, I can usually see into the immediate future. Would you consider making a prediction for us now? I will try. I can promise nothing, but I will try. Monday. Monday. It is Monday at 8.15. I see the future, but not far ahead. This same night, three hours from now, at 11.15 tonight, I see a small man, a bald man with glasses. His name is Chester. Look, Miss Hayes, the joke's a joke. Quiet, quiet, Mr. Chester. Don't spoil it. She's still talking. Tonight, Mr. Chester, at exactly 11.15, you will be murdered. I think that was one of the most emotional meetings we've ever had at the Derringer Society. (laughs) It certainly broke up in a hurry when she predicted the murder of Chester. Yes. What do you make of that woman, Gregory? Well, it's hard to say. Time travel into the future is all very well in the Derringer stories. Otherwise, I don't care for it too much. Life's complicated enough in a straight line these days. Mr. Hood, Sandy Taylor, wait for me! It's Alfred Chester. He's chasing us on the double. He really must be scared. Well, I'm glad I caught you fellas before you left. What's wrong, Mr. Chester? Are you taking that prediction seriously? Well, it sounded to me more like a threat than a prediction. My reason tells me it's foolish to take the thing seriously, and yet... After all, I I did make that stupid remark about the horse races. She's a weird woman. She may have some some odd powers that we know nothing about. What do you fellas think I ought to do? 
Get the police, perhaps? Oh, I think it'd be a little hard to convince them that you were in danger. Yes. It's uh, quarter of 11 now. Uh, would you like me to come home with you until after her 11.15 deadline has passed? Oh, no, no, Hood. I won't bother you. I'm probably being extremely stupid. Well, thanks for this little talk. I feel a lot better. Good night. Good night, Mr. Chester. Good night. He really is frightened, isn't he, Gregory? Badly. Ah, oh, well, Sandy, I don't think we need to take the business very seriously. Of course not. Just the same, I have a feeling that Mr. Alfred Chester may not sleep too easily tonight. Yes, dear, it's me. Are you in bed? Yes, I've been meeting. How is the meeting? Uh, I'll hang up my things and come and tell you about it. It was rather a peculiar evening. There was a woman there who claimed to be able to see into the future. Oh, what rubbish. I know, but the, the funny thing was she... Oh, well, but that's nonsense. Uh, what's the time, Alice? Uh, it's exactly 11.15. <sighs> 11.15, then I'm safe. I need... Mean... <laughs> morning to you, Stan. Hello, Lieutenant Silvers. Good morning. What brings you to my office this early in the morning, Stan? Could we interest you in a small Ming vase for Mrs. Silvers? Oh, we have a nice line in Inca headdresses. You'd look rather fetching in one. Greg, I'm here on business. You saw Alfred Chester last night, didn't you? Sure, we both did. Why? Well, late last night, he was murdered. He was... What time, Stan? His wife says it was exactly 11.15. God. Then the prediction came true. What prediction are you talking about, Mr. Taylor? Chester attended a meeting of the Derringer Society last night. A woman by the name of Julia Hayes went into a sort of trance. Predicted Chester would be murdered at exactly 11.15. Then that's a woman I've got to talk to. We'll all go and talk to her, Stan, but before we do, there's one thing I'd like to know. How was the murder committed? Chester was stabbed from behind by a medium-sized, right-handed person. No fingerprints, no clue. Who are you calling, Gregor? Barton. He can tell us where Julia Hayes can be found. Uh, get me Dr. Barton's office, please. Yes, Mr. Hood. Dr. Barton? I know him. He's a psychiatrist, isn't he? That's the man. He brought Julia Hayes to our meeting last night. Here's Dr. Barton, Mr. Hood. Oh, thanks. Dr. Barton? Yes? This is Gregory Hood. Oh, yes, Greg. Can you tell me where I can get in touch with Julia Hayes? Well, she's here in my office now. And I found out something very interesting about her, Gregory. So have I, Barton. Please keep her there until we arrive. We're leaving right away. <laughs> I've been examining Miss Hayes again this morning, gentlemen, and I've uncovered a very interesting fact. Miss Hayes was left-handed in her childhood, but she's been possibly trained into right-handedness since. It's a situation that is often has uh, unpredictable psychological results, though I'll confess, never precisely like her. She is extraordinary, isn't she, Barton? Lieutenant Silvers will tell you just how extraordinary. Dr. Barton, Alfred Chester was murdered last night. Murdered by a right-handed person. What? And her prediction came true to the exact minute he died at 11.15. He did? I... I... I don't know what to say. One thing I can assure you, gentlemen. Miss Hayes did not commit the crime herself. How do you know? Because I brought her back here after the meeting last night. 
I was working with her until 12.30. Where's Miss Hayes now? Uh, in the other room. Uh, you want to talk to her? Yes, Dr. Barton, I certainly do. I'll call her in. Come in, please, Miss Hayes. Yes, Doctor. These uh, gentlemen want to ask you a few questions. What questions? I understand you predicted the murder of Mr. Alfred Chester last night. Yes. It happened, of course. Yes. I knew it would. How do you account for the fact that you predicted it three hours before it happened? I cannot account for it. It is a gift that I cannot explain. I can see things in the immediate future. I can tell you what is to happen today before the day is out. I can tell you... Her mind is blanking out again. What can you tell us, Miss Hayes? I see a large man, a red-faced man. His name is Felton. George Felton. Another member of the Derringer. What do you see, Miss Hayes? He will die tonight. He, too, will be murdered. The heck he will. This is one murder that isn't going to take place. George Felton speaking. This is Lieutenant Silvers again, Mr. Felton. Silvers, why don't you leave me alone? I don't want any police protection and I won't have any. But Mr. Felton, I told you that Alfred Chester was murdered last night, right after he'd been threatened by this woman. His death was a coincidence, Silvers. It was probably a prowler. But I'm not easily scared. And I don't believe in supernatural powers, even though I am a member of the Derringer Society. I wish you'd let me come over, Mr. Felton. We don't like to take any chances. Now, look here, Silvers. It's nearly midnight. My wife and I are going to bed. Don't you worry about us. If anyone murders me during the night, I'll get in touch with you first thing in the morning. Who is that, darling? Oh, Lieutenant Silvers again. Still worrying about that threat on your life. Yes, that's the fifth time he's called me today. Darling, he must take it seriously, even if you don't. Mm. Uh, don't you think... Oh, now, don't to... worry your pretty head about it, Cynthia. You run along to bed, dear. I'll lock up. I suppose you know best, George. Mm. Don't be long. Oh. <laughs> hmm. What's that? I heard something. Gregory, I blame myself for Mr. Felton's murder last oh, night. Oh, you did your best, Stan? Yes, Lieutenant. After all, you, you tried to force him to take protection, but he wouldn't hear of it. I know, but I do blame myself. Well, let's see what Judy Hayes has to say about this one. He's waiting outside. Come in, please, Miss Hayes. Very well, Lieutenant. Now, Miss Hayes, I want to know how you knew this latest murder was going to take place. I cannot tell you how I knew... It is just that when my mind is a blank, I have the ability to see into the future. Now, look, Miss Hayes, I'm a plain, straightforward police officer. One coincidence I can take, but not two. And I can't write on a police report that you knew about the murder because you can see into the future, you know. Why not tell me the truth? I am telling the truth. Oh, Gregory, see if you can get anything out of her. Miss Hayes. What is it? I understand about your being able to travel into the future, but surely you must be able to remember more about what you saw when you had that vision. Try and think back, will you? Think back? Back? No, I can only see forward. Forward. Scott, my mind's banking out again. I see another death in the immediate future. Sudden death. 
Man is tall and dark. His name is Hood. Gregory Hood. You'll hear the rest of Gregory Hood's story in just a second, so I'll tell you quickly about a wine I know you'll like. That wine is Petri California Muscatel. Petri Muscatel is really marvelous. In fact, I'm willing to bet you like everything about it. Petri Muscatel is good just to look at, the color of sheer gold. And say, if you've ever tasted plump, luscious Muscat grapes at their sun-ripened best, well, then you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. Petri Muscatel brings you that same wonderful Muscat flavor. And you'll like Petri Muscatel after dinner, by itself, or served with fruit, for instance, peaches, or with cake. Just be sure it's Petri. Petri Muscatel, because Petri wine is always good wine. Well, Gregory, so yours was the third murder to be predicted. Considering the first two had taken place according to schedule, you must have felt a little nervous. For the first 24 hours, I was a trifle sensitive to sudden sounds, Harry. But when 48 hours had passed without anything happening, I began to feel rather let down. Let down? You should have thought you'd have been grateful. <laughs> Gregory has an ingrained sense of melodrama, Harry. I think he felt cheated because the spotlight was on him and he didn't have a scene to play. Exactly, Sandy. As my old father used to say, if you're fortunate enough to hit the headlines, for heaven's sake, make the most of it. But how could I? The other two killings had followed right on the heels of the prophecies. Now, mine had been predicted and nothing happened at all. It was rather humiliating. That's one way of looking at it. In any case, I'm sure you didn't just sit down and wait for someone to try to kill you. Oh, no, no, Harry. As soon as Julia Hayes uttered her dire threat, Lieutenant Silvers and I went into action. We questioned everyone and checked alibis till we were as black in the face as a couple of end men. But after three days of this, we had progressed exactly nowhere. On the night of the fourth day, I remember, Sandy and I sat in my apartment discussing the whole business. While you and Lieutenant Silvers have been doing the legwork, I've been doing some serious thinking. Splendid, Sandy. What conclusions did you arrive at? I think there's only one answer to this case. And that answer is? Dr. Barton's a psychiatrist. Julia Hayes is slightly subnormal. I wouldn't mind giving you odds that he hypnotized her into performing the two murders. She'd be an easy hypnotic victim. I thought of that possibility. Have you figured out his motive? No, but I'll skip that for the moment. One thing we do know, he had the opportunity. He was the only person who was alone with the woman for any length of time between her arrival in San Francisco and her first prophecy at our meeting. Very true. And I think I could provide your missing motive, Sandy. We've checked on Dr. Barton thoroughly. The wife of George Felton, the second man murdered, was a patient of Barton's. She was also a beautiful woman, no doubt is now a very rich one. I've gleaned rumors that her relationship with Barton was a little more uh, cozy than that which usually exists between doctor and patient. In that case, how would you account for the first murder, the stabbing of Alfred Chester? Well, that could have been a blind, to establish a pattern and conceal the motive. Well, if that were the case, your death would be necessary also. True, true. Darn it, Sandy, this is all supposition. We haven't a real lead to follow. There's one thing I will settle, though. Who are you calling? Dr. Howell is staying at the Fairmont. He's probably the greatest psychiatrist in the country. Uh, Dr. Eustace Howell, please. Well, what can he settle? Whether Julia Hayes could have been hypnotized into committing murder. Uh, Dr. Howell, this is Gregory Hood. I'm fine, thanks. Yes, I'd like to. Uh, in the meanwhile, do you mind if I pick your brains? Yes. Yes, here's my problem. Is it possible to hypnotize an individual to commit a criminal act against his will? Thanks. Thanks, I thought so. I'm much obliged to you. I'll call you in a day or two. Goodbye. Can't be done, huh? No. He says the answer is an unqualified no. 
Well, I'm going to accelerate my own murder. Just tell me what flowers you like first. I'm very fond of Transvaal daisies, Sandy, but don't worry about my funeral left. Yes. Uh, Lieutenant Silvers, please. Who can play at this game, Sandy? Oh, Stan, this is Greg Hood. No, no, no more leads, but I have got a brainwave. Pick up Julia Hayes and bring her up to the apartment as soon as you can. Yes, we'll be waiting for you. I cannot answer any more questions, Mr. Holden. But, Miss Hayes, you predicted that I would be murdered in this apartment. Doesn't this setting ring a responsive chord in your memory? No. No, it does not. Your other prophecies came true. What happened to this one? I do not know. I cannot explain it. Perhaps you've lost your mysterious power, Miss Hayes. Oh, perhaps you never had it. Perhaps you made the whole thing up. Why not admit you're a murderess who poses as a prophet? I am no murderess. I can see the future, or I could. Something has happened to me. You never could see the future, and you never will. But I'll tell you your future, Miss Hayes, if you don't tell us the truth. You'll end up in the gas chamber, and I don't have to be a clairvoyant to know that. Stop talking like that. Leave me alone. I won't stay here. Come back. No, no, Stan. Let her go. I'll tell her, though, Greg. Good idea. She's upset. She might show her hand. I'll be back later. Well, there's still no nearer the solution, Gregory. I don't know. I swear there's still hypnotism in it somewhere. I have a hunch that Julia Hayes isn't conscious of it. That alibi of hers for the first killing might be a true one at that. Hello? Gregory, this is uh, Dr. Barton. Yes, Barton? I, uh, I have rather a serious confession to make to you. I lied to the police. About what? In saying that Julia Hayes was with me at the time of the first murder, she wasn't. Why did you lie? Well, the woman seemed such a unique psychiatric study, I wanted to complete my examination before the police nabbed her. Now I've finished my research with her. You can tell the police they can pick her up. Tell them yourself, Barton, and I wish you the worst of luck in explaining it to them. There's a man that danced at his father's wedding. What did he say, Gregor? He dynamited Julia Hayes' alibi for the first murder. But in doing so, I'm pretty certain he's put the finger on himself. Dr. Howell, please. Stanley, I think we're on the right track at last. I certainly hope so. Dr. Howell, this is Greg Hood again. I want just one more piece of information, please. Can a post-hypnotic suggestion include persuading the patient that he was never hypnotized at all? It can? Thank you, Doctor. I'm immensely obliged to you. There's our answer, Sandy. When Barton demolished the woman's alibi, he also demolished his own. Then he did hypnotize Sure. Then he planted the apparent prophecies in her mind. After she'd made them public, he committed the murders himself. I get it. And he thought that when he scuttled Julia Hayes' alibi, we'd think she'd try to make her own predictions come true. That's it, Sandy. Fortunately for us, he's outsmarted himself and walked into his own trap. We've got him. Who's that? Is that you, Stan? What the... Who turned off the light? Oh, no, you don't. Gregory! Gregory, where are you? What's happening? Trying to get at the light switch. Look out, Sandy. He's got a knife. Break a match. Okay, Gregory. Hey, Gregory. Why are the lights off? What's going on? Watch out, Stan. The killer's here. He's got a knife. She's got a knife. It's Julia Hayes. She got away from me, but I trailed her back here. But it can't be. Here's the light switch. It is Julia Hayes, Gregory. You've got your cold, Miss Hayes. Knife's in your hand at all. Well, what have you got to say for yourself? I'm sorry I did not kill you, Mr. Hood. Well, that's very friendly of you, Miss Hayes, but I'm completely confused. Oh, so am I, Gregory. You just finished proving to me that she couldn't be the killer. Well, I I don't know what more evidence you want, Greg. The knife's in her hand, and she admits she wished she'd killed you. Yes, I admit it. You all made fun of me. You did not believe in my gift. If you had died, then all my predictions would have come true. But I am no murderess. 
Of course you aren't, Miss Hayes. What are you talking about, Gregory? But don't you see? She's holding the knife in her left hand. There's the answer. Come on, Lieutenant. Let's go over and see Dr. Barton as fast as the squad car can get us there. Yeah, this is all very dramatic. A police inspector, an amateur detective, and his attorney stand in my home and accuse me of murder. Is this some form of practical joke? If you think it is, you must have a very warped sense of humor. I don't think the judge will find it funny, Dr. Barton. And I know that your attorney won't. But this is ridiculous. You're suggesting that I hypnotized Julia Hayes into making murder prophecies, and then that I carried out the murders myself? To coin a phrase, yes. But, my dear Hood, you've just admitted that she attacked you tonight. Yes, you suggested the idea. And the three of us, by taunting her with her failure as a prophet earlier on, helped. Her never-too-stable mind snapped, and she attacked me to fulfill her record of prophecies. But why couldn't she have committed the two murders? You overlooked one thing, my friend. You didn't know that under strong emotion, she reverts to her childhood left-handedness. She attacked me tonight with her left hand. The murders were committed by a right-handed person. Want to argue any more? I'd like to know what you think my motive was, Hood. Oh, that's easy. Mrs. Felton, the widow of your second victim, broke down half an hour ago and spilled quite a few beans. She did? I, I mean, yes, she did. So, Cynthia's been talking. Let her come with me, Doctor. Very well, Lieutenant. I should prefer not to talk anymore. I've seen my attorney. Good night, gentlemen. I'll see you in court, Barton. Gregory, you tell the most convincing lies. That story about Mrs. Felton talking, how can you do it? Oh, it takes years of training. My old father always used to say that if you couldn't think of a really convincing truth when you wanted to make a good point, then tell a thumping great lie. <laughs> You're a chip off the old block. Sandy, I'm worried. Conscience bothering you? Mm-mm. I'm thinking about the Derringer Society. What about it, Gregory? Will Sandy brood about it? With two of our society murdered and a third headed for the gas chamber... We can certainly use some new members. Greg, that was an exciting story. How do you get mixed up in these things? Harry, I guess I'm just around when they happen. But why is it I'm never around? Well, Harry, maybe you're just the kind of person nothing ever happens to. Lucky you. You mean poor me. I bet if I were a member of the Derringer Society, things would start happening to me. Oh, I don't know. But before you can become a member, you must be able to contribute something to the society. Have you a scientific mind? I'm a genius with a tinker toy. Oh, no, no. Know anything about psychiatry? No. Hypnotism? No. Precognition? Don't even know what it means. Well, in that event, Harry, what in the world could you possibly contribute to the Derringer Society? The case of Petri Wine? I should have known. They'll love me, Greg, because Petri wine is such good wine. Why, it's just got to be. With the Petri family, the growing of perfect sun-ripened grapes, and the art of turning those grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, is a heritage. It's a heritage passed on down from father to son, from father to son. No wonder Petri wine is so good. Yes, the making of Petri wine is a family affair, and the Petri family has every intention of keeping it just that. So you know the name Petri on a bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri wine is and always will be good wine. Well, Gregory, which adventure out of the casebook are you planning to tell us next week? 
Next Monday, Harry, I'm going to tell of a weird adventure that Sandy and I had in Mexico City some months ago. During the course of the story, I succeeded in getting myself kidnapped by a female sharpshooter and nearly ended up with an extremely beautiful wife. I'll see you next Monday, Harry. Petri Wine brings you... The Casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to the story of... Murder in Celluloid. Another exciting adventure from the Casebook of Gregory Hood. As for me, I'd like to know if you're planning to have chicken for dinner any night this week. Because no matter how you like that chicken, roasted, fried, or in a stew with dumplings, you like it a lot better served with a glass of Petri California Sauterne. Now there's something to talk about. Chicken and Petri Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a clear white wine, delicately fragrant. And what a flavor that Petri wine has. It's, well, all I can say is, it's the wine you've been looking for. A wine that brings you the luscious flavor of big, plump, sun-ripened grapes. And say, Petri Sauterne is not only great with chicken, but you like it served with fish or any kind of seafood, too. So try a bottle of Sauterne. Get Petri Sauterne. Those letters, P-E-T-R-I, always spell good wine. Petri wine. Monday night in San Francisco, and we have a date with Gregory Hood. Tonight's rendezvous is at his apartment high on Knob Hill and overlooking the Golden Gate. Let's join him there, shall we? Hello, Gregory. Harry Bartell, come on in. I was expecting you. Uh, where's Sandy Taylor tonight, Greg? He flew up to Vancouver today. There's some legal business he had to attend to for me on a shipment coming in from the Orient. He'll be back in a few days. Glass of sherry, Harry? Thanks. Well... Siamese cat. Uh, a new addition to the Maynard's grave? Oh, no, no. Sam's an old retainer. He's been up at my place at Russian River. I flew him down with me this morning. Mighty friendly. What did you say his name is? Well, officially, it's Sing Lo, but his host of friends decided it was too dignified a name for such a whimsical character. So he was christened uh, Sam Ferber. Greg, um, am I crazy or is Sam cross-eyed? Oh, yes, yes. He's cross-eyed and his tail's broken, but he has a delightful, dusky little soul. Haven't you, Sammy? <laughs> well, Sam has another fan now. Here's your sherry. Thanks, Greg. And now... I'm... I know, I know. You have that Monday night look in your eye. You want a story out of my case book. <laughs> Correct. And from the hints you gave us last week, it sounded as though you had quite a special one lined up. Well, this was a strange business, Harry. The whole thing happened in Hollywood. What were you doing down there, Greg? Metropolis Studios were making a picture called Passport to Danger. My old friend Ray Hansen was directing it. The story was about a girl who inherits an importing business and gets into a struggle between her private life and being a career woman. And you were called in as a technical advisor? Well, not quite that, Harry. Ray called me one night and said that he had some headaches on the importing business angle of the picture. So the next morning, I hopped into my beach craft and flew down to the city of Celluloid. As you know, I'm something of a gourmet. How well I know. So it was only natural that my lunch that day was eaten at the Brown Derby in Hollywood. As I entered that star-studded home of good food, I was greeted by Bill Killius, famed Mr. Gregory Hood, it's good to see you back in town. Hello, Bill. It's good to be back. 
I have a usual table for you. This way, please. Thanks. Oh, by the way, Bill, I hope that on this trip you'll break down and give me the recipe for that Cobb salad. <laughs> I don't know if Mr. Cobb will like me to. Oh, come on, Bill. Bob Cobb and I are old friends. He'd approve. Well, Mr. Hood, here's your table. I know you start off with three kinds of lettuce. Romaine, chicory, and iced lettuce. Break it up very Correct, fine. Correct, Mr. Hood. Then you slice up some bacon in tiny stripes. Some chopped chives, and then comes the cheese. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, Bill. Uh, who's that girl sitting two boots away? Miss Sheila Graham, one of our best movie columnists and radio commentators. I thought it was. I must go and talk to her. I'll get the rest of that recipe from you before I go, Bill. Very well, Mr. Hood. Sheila Graham, how nice to see you again. Gregory Hood. I heard you were in town. You did? I only flew in this morning. You get your news fast, Sheila. My spies are everywhere, Gregory. In this case, I met Ray Hansen at a beach party at Malibu last night. He told me you were coming. Uh, what brings you to town, Gregory? <laughs> Said she, whipping out her golden Eversharp. Certainly. Your news, Gregory. Famous importer, man about town, and amateur detective flies into Hollywood. I mentioned it on my radio show. I heard you had a new show, Sheila. What time is it? I must catch it. Sunday night, 8.45, on Mutual. Oh, nicely spoken. I shall listen. Thank you kindly. And now, Greg, which of our starlets is responsible for your being in town? Well, it isn't a girl this time, Sheila. I came down to give Ray Hansen a little help on the importing business for Passport to Danger. Oh, yes. That's the Nedda Mason and Norwood open. Funny thing. Nedda's having luncheon with me today. Have you met her? No, no, but I hear she's what is known technically, I believe, as uh, a dish. A little too highly spiced a dish for my liking, but she's good coffee. I did meet Ann Norwood. Isn't she sweet? I fell hopelessly and head over heels in love with her. Seems impossible that an eight-year-old girl can be a movie star... And yet be so utterly unspoiled. Here comes Nedda Mason now. Watch her switch on the personality. Hello, Nedda. Sheila, darling. Oh, I'm so terribly sorry I made. They simply mobbed me for autographs. You know Gregory Hood? Oh. Miss Nedda Mason. How do you do? So you're the same as Gregory Hood. Ray told me you were flying down. You're going to help us on the picture, aren't you? If I can. It's a marvelous script, and I've got a dream of a part. And Sheila, darling, the clothes. All Adrian's dined me the most heavenly outfit. I think I must be an artist, my dear. I just can't keep away from mirrors these days. Excuse me, Mr. Hurt. Oh, yes, Bill. There is a young lady waiting for you at the table. There is? Excuse me, Sheila. See you again before I leave. Fine, Greg. Nice to have met you, Miss Mason. Now, here's the studio. Well, well, Miss Ann Norwood. Hello, Mr. Hurt. You didn't mind me sitting down at your table, did you? I'm very flattered, Ann. I had to see you alone. That's why I didn't come over to the other table. I saw Miss Nedda Mason was there. And you don't like her? Oh, it isn't exactly that. Oh, I do think she talks awfully loudly, don't you? Yes, Anne, I do. Mr. Robin Hood, you're a detective, aren't you? In an amateur way. And incidentally, Anne, the name is Gregory, not Robin. I know. But I think you're just like Robin Hood. And he was wonderful. And so I think of you that way. <laughs> I'll admit that my prices might be called stealing from the rich, and I do give to the poor, but... That's where the resemblance ends, I'm afraid, Anne. But I'm very flattered that you think of me that way. I do, Mr. Hurd. That's why I've come to you for help. You see, my daddy's dead, and I do so miss having a man to talk to. Of course you do, Anne. You go ahead and talk. I have a very, a very serious problem. I need a detective. Dear me, Anne. Whatever is the matter? Somebody has stolen my map. My super map. I've been working on it for weeks. And I'm good at maps, too. At least my teacher says I am. Well, what kind of a map was it? It's something I invented. It's full of forts and secret weapons and dockyards. And now it's been stolen. And when did you see it last, Anne? This morning. It was in my portable dressing room in the studio. I was working on it between scenes. 
When I came back just before lunch, he was gone. Oh, dear, here comes Mommy. Alan, darling, you frightened me. Why did you slip away like that while I was parking the car? I had to see Mr. Hood. Mommy, this is Mr. Robin. I mean, Gregory Hood. How do you do, Mr. Hood? How do you do? Uh, do sit down, won't you? Well, just for a moment. And uh, you haven't been bothering Mr. Hood, have you? Not a bit of it. She knew that I was an amateur detective, and she came to me with a problem. I'm very flattered. You see, Mommy. <laughs> the missing map, I suppose. Of course. And Mr. Hood's going to find it for me, aren't you? I'll do my best, Anne. Uh, who do you think might have stolen it? I think it was Miss Madam Mason. It must have been either her or Major Courtney. They were the only two people in my dressing room today, except Mother. Major Courtney? That name seems familiar. Who is he? Uh, well, uh, I suppose you might say... It. He's a of mine. He's terribly stuck on money. And, dear, that's not very nice. What branch of the army is he in, Mrs. Norwood? Honestly, I don't know. And if I did, I shouldn't tell. It's all some terrific secret. He doesn't even wear a uniform. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what let's do. You both have lunch with me. Then we'll drive over to the studio and see if we can find that map for you, Anne. Oh, Mr. Hood, you're so wonderful. <laughs> My dressing room, Mr. Hood. Do you like it? Very much, Anne. You don't think it's a little young for me, do you? Mother had it decorated. Anne, I think it's perfect for your personality. Clean and fresh and cool. Mr. Hood, you say the loveliest thing. Are you married? No, Anne. I've always been waiting for the right girl. Keep waiting, Mr. Hood. She'll come along. I just know she will. Very well, Anne. But while I'm waiting, let's see if we can track down that map for you. Where did you last see it? It was on the dressing room table here. Uh, when you leave this dressing room and go before the cameras, do you lock the door? Always. Mommy never forgets. And the arrangement of the door and window in here is such that no one could have slipped in a, a hand through here or sneaked in and stolen it. Well, it must have been Miss Madam Mason or Major Courtney. Yes, it looks like it. And yet, Anne, I, I can understand someone wanting one of your maps, but if he did, he'd ask you for it. He wouldn't steal it. But if the person, whoever it was, thought it was one of Major Courtney's maps, it would be different. Why would it be different, Mr. Hood? Your mother hinted that he might be in special service for the Army. You said your map had forts and secret weapon sites on it. Now do you see, Anne? Yes, Mr. Hood. And that would mean Miss Nanna Mason's a spy. Oh, goody, this is fun. No, no, darling, you mustn't go around saying she's a spy. I'm just dreaming up a very wild plot. The chances are that a gust of wind came through the window and blew your map out into the studio. Oh, no. I like it so much better the other way, Mr. Hood. <laughs> Frankly, Anne, so do I. Come in. Hello, Anne, darling. Uh, hello, Mr. Fremont. This is a very great friend of mine, Mr. Gregory Hood, Mr. Philip Fremont. How do you do? He's playing the lead in, the, in another picture on the lot. Say, Anne, isn't this yours? I found it on the studio floor. It's my map. It's my super map. Oh, you see, Anne, it wasn't stolen after all. Stolen? Annie, did you think someone had stolen your map? Yes, I did. It's an awfully good map. I, uh, I hear that you're an amateur detective, Mr. Hood. In an unobtrusive way. Why? Well, I was wondering where Annie dreamed up the idea that her map had been stolen. I guess you put her up to it. Do you? Well, it's a bad guess, Mr. Fremont. And my name isn't Annie. It's Anne. Okay, honey, don't get mad at me. I was just trying to be funny. Mr. Fremont. Uh, yes, Charlie? On the set, please. Rehearsal of the next scene. Okay, Charlie. See you later, Anne. Nice to have met you, Mr. Hood. Uh, goodbye. Mr. Hood. Yes, Anne? 
You know, I'm sorry my mat was found so easily. Why, dear? You won't detect it for me anymore. And I was having such fun. So was I. Supposing it really had been stolen, Mr. Hood, why would Mr. Fremont have brought it back? Well, since I dreamed up a hypothetical case in the beginning, I might as well give you a hypothetical solution. You use such lovely words. What does hyper... What did it mean, Mr. Hood? Well, I meant that we were still playing at let's pretend the map was stolen. Let's suppose the thief thought there were plans of Major Courtney and he stole them. When he examined them, he found they were harmless, so he threw them away. Mr. Fremont found them, knew that you were quite a map maker, and brought them back to you. Oh, you're so clever, Mr. Hood. I bet that's what happened. I wouldn't take the bet, Anne. Let me look at the map, will you? Of course. I'll do one for you if you like. Oh, naturally. I'd like it very much. That's odd. What is it, Mr. Hood? There are red marks on the corner of your map, Anne. They are made by nail polish that hasn't quite dried. Nail polish of a peculiarly horrendous shade of purpley crimson. The exact shade that Miss Netta Mason was wearing at the Brown Derby today. Perhaps she is a spy after all. Perhaps. Look, Anne. Even though you've got your map back, I might as well follow this business through. There's something funny going on here. I think so, too, Mr. Hood. I just know Miss Netta Mason's a spy. Did you look at those eyes of hers? Yes, Anne. I got the slant. Let's go to her dressing room and talk to her, shall we? This is her dressing room, Mr. Hood. You better knock. I always knock, Anne. It's uh, lucky. Oh. Hello, Mr. Latimer. Ah, it's my dream boat, Annie. How are you, darling? Mr. Lou Latimer. Mr. Gregory Hood. Glad to meet you, Mr. Latimer. Oh, just call me Lou. Say, you're Greg Hood. I know about you. You sell old hunks of ivory for big dough in San Francisco. And you're an amateur sleuth who can show up the pros. And you're a wolf in good standing. Listen, Lou, I also pack a mean lift. Clean it up a little, can't you? Oh, a little Lord Fauntleroy character, huh? Okay. Beat me to a pulp and call me Juicy. Ah, ha, ha. Get it? Pulp? Juicy? Don't uh, overplay it, Lou. It gives me ideas. <clears throat> uh, character, huh? But depth. Listen, I'm handling the publicity on this little super-duper colossal hunk of picture. I've got an idea. It'll slay you, Greg. I'm mortal, just like the next man, but I'll listen to it later. Mm. Right now, Anne and I want to see Nedda Mason. Is she in her dressing room? Oh, death. She went in about a half an hour ago, and I've been sitting here ever since, dreaming up ideas. Anyone else been in to see her? Natch. Philip Fremont, the alleged actor, went in. Also Major Courtney, the man of mystery. They've both left now, though. Oh. Anne, I'm going in alone. Stay here with Mr. Latimer, will you? Why can't I go with you, Mr. Hood? <laughs> You know how it is, Anne. You're a sophisticated girl. When you go to see a beautiful spy, you go alone. I know. It's just like in the funny. I think she was a dragon lady. You wouldn't want another woman like me alone. That's right, Anne. You're very understanding. I'll be back in a moment. Ah, character. Greg Hood is a definite character, but in dube. I love Mr. Hood. Why, Nancy, Annie. Oh, by the way, Dreamboat, I've got a terrific angle for you on this picture. Oh, no, Mr. Lavin. Not again. Oh, this one's a natural, honey child. We give you a big balloon, see? It has Passport to Danger printed on it. Now, Passport spelled backwards is Tropsap, see? No, Miss Latimer, I don't see. Look, baby, Tropsap is the name of a cereal, see? And we get them to ask you why you're so healthy. And you say you always breakfast on Tropsap because backwards it spells Passport. And that's in the title of your super-duper smasher. Oh, you get it, Annie? No, Mr. Latimer, I don't eat Tropsap. I've never even heard of it. I wouldn't tell a lie. A lie, she says, yes. Listen, honey child, you're not getting the point. It's a big balloon. Maybe we fill it up with uh, hydrogen. But, you see, it's got this billboard on each side of it, see? And when they ask you... Oh, Anne. Hello, Mr. Hood. I'm glad you're back. Your mother left a message. She wants you to call her. She 
is back at the Brown Derby. It's quite important. Oh. All right, Mr. Hood. Wait here for me, won't you? Yes, Anne, I'll wait. Ah, what's the matter, pal? You look as if you've seen a ghost. I have. Close the studio gates and send for the police. The police? What's wrong? Plenty. Miss Nedda Mason's lying in her dressing room. She's been strangled. We'll hear the rest of Gregory Hood's story in just a second. So I'm going to tell you about a red wine that's really marvelous with any kind of meat or meat dish. The wine is Petri California Burgundy. Petri Burgundy is a rich, full-flavored wine, a wine so unusual that it can turn a simple meal into a real feast. For proof, next time you have hamburgers or your favorite kind of stew for dinner, serve it with a glass of Petri Burgundy. Your whole dinner becomes more colorful. And as for the wine itself, well, Petri Burgundy will make you smack your lips for fair and just sigh with pleasure. Be sure you get Petri Burgundy, because Petri is always good wine. Well, Gregory, so you found Madame Mason strangled in her dressing room, huh? What happened when the police got there? Well, Lou Latimer, the publicity man, persuaded me not to send for them right away. He probably figured that you could solve the case, hand the killer over to the police, and so avoid as much publicity as possible. Correct, Harry, and I somewhat grudgingly agreed... And so, having gotten little Ann Norwood safely out of the studio, Lou Latimer and I went back to the dead girl's dressing room where I began to search for any clues. Find any clues, Greg? Not so far, Lou. Except that the thumb marks show she was strangled from behind. No chance of identifying them, I'm afraid. Gee, Greg, how do you figure this killing? It's a hard one to figure. Maybe the explanation I ad-libbed at the studio for Ann Norwood's benefit might fit the killing at that. Well, it looks simple enough to me. I saw Netta walk into her dressing room. I was sitting outside it until you came out. Now, apart from yourself, only two people went in. Major Courtney, the man of mystery, and that ham actor, Philip Fremont. Uh, it must be one of them. Hello, hello. Now we've got a clue. Look what's clenched in her right hand. Huh? Uh, that looks like some kind of pin. It's a Sigma Xi key. What Sigma Xi? An honorary fraternity for science. A sort of scientific equivalent of Phi Beta Kappa. But there's no name on this key. So you still don't know which one of the two it is? Which one of the three? Huh? Well, how do you figure three, Greg? Proving it's two only rests on one thing, Lou. Your word alone. That makes you, my friend, the third suspect. Sheila Graham speaking. I'm Gregory Hood. Hello, Gregory. What's on your mind? I need some help, Sheila. Can you give me any facts on Philip Fremont's educational background? Yes, I can. I did a piece on him the other day. He's a college man, got into acting through the hasty pudding club at Harvard, majored in English. No science, Sheila? No, Greg. I see. Do you know Lou Latimer, publicity man at Metropolis? <laughs> know him? He pesters me almost daily. Why, Gregory? Well, how about his educational background? Well, Lou claims that he graduated from high school. Personally, I'd say that if he ever got beyond the fifth grade, I'd want to see the proof. Oh, thank you, Sheila. You're a remarkably well-informed girl. I'll call you later. Goodbye. Mrs. Norwood, why did you bring Anne back here to the studio? Oh, I simply couldn't keep her away, Mr. Hood. Where is she now? In her dressing room, talking to Major Courtney. Oh, I'm anxious to meet him. Oh, well, come along then. Let's go in. Uh. Where have you been? 
I've missed you. Well, I had a little business to attend to, Anne. Uh, I want you to meet Major Courtney, Mr. Gregory Hood. How do you do, Major? Hello, Mr. Hood. Anne's just been telling me about you. She's a rabid fan of yours. As I am of hers. In fact, I've quite lost my heart to her. Doesn't he say the most beautiful things? Major Courtney, I wonder if you and I could take a stroll. I'm most anxious to speak to you alone. Why, yes, I suppose so. I want to come with you, Mr. Hood. Darling. You heard Mr. Hood say that he wanted to speak to Major Courtney alone. Now, don't worry, Anne. We'll be back in a few minutes. Please don't be long. You're being very mysterious, Hood. Uh, I didn't want to talk in front of Anne. You knew about Netta Mason. Oh, of course. Mind if I ask you some questions? No. Fire away. Would I be right in thinking you're a government technician? That's a question I can't answer, Hood. Then would you tell me if you studied science in college? Yes. I majored in it. Then doubtless you're a member of Sigma Xi. Yes, I am. May I see your fraternity key? But I don't wear it often. I, I don't know where it is right now. Look, Hood, I don't know what you're driving at, but I'm not used to being cross-questioned like this. Sorry, but I'm going on with it. Why did you call on Nedda Mason in her dressing room this afternoon? That is none of your business. Then let me do a little guesswork, Major. I think you suspected Nedda Mason of being involved in espionage activities. Perhaps she displayed too much interest in your briefcase and you went in to talk to her about it. Listen, Hood, if you must know, when I went into Netta's dressing room, I found her murdered. Found her or left her that way, Major? You're barking up the wrong tree, my friend. And if I were free to explain a few things to you, which I'm not, you'd believe me. Uh, uh, Gregory, there you are. I've been looking all over the lot for you. How are you coming? I think we're on the last lap, Lou. Uh, tell me one thing. Sure, what is it, pal? Is Philip Fremont's picture shooting this afternoon? Oh, yeah, they're on stage eight. They're shooting a big gun battle scene right now. I just left there. You want to come over? Yes, Lou, I do want to. Very much. All right, all right. That's all for today. We'll pick up the reverse shot in the morning. Hey, the lights. Everyone up to the set. Hey, Gregory. We can catch Fremont before he gets back to his dressing room. Yes, let's go on the set and talk to him. Come on, Major Courtney. Keep a weather eye open, Hood. We may be leading with our chin. I know, Major, but we have the advantage of surprise, I hope. Oh, hello, Mr. Fremont. Well, Gregory Hood, didn't know you were on the set. It's too bad you weren't here earlier. We were shooting some good stuff. Say, by the way, can you get here in the morning? I've got several terrific scenes then. Too bad that you won't be playing them, Fremont. I... Well, what do you mean, Hood? Call the police, Lou. Philip Fremont, your murderer. Oh, Fremont. That was my hunch, too, Hood. Stay right where you are, Lou, and that goes for the rest of you. Don't you see I'm still carrying my revolver? Yes, a revolver containing blanks. You've just used it in the scene. Oh, no. No, I have another one in my pocket. A revolver containing live shells. I've switched them. And I shoot expertly through the pocket despite the tailor's bills. You're not getting me arrested. I'm clearing out. Why did you strangle Netta Mason? Because she was stupid. And she quarreled with me. In any case, a girl who can mistake the map of an eight-year-old child... For a valuable map such as the Major carries, deserves to die. She was no more use to us. Us being your fascist superiors, of course. Correct. Major Courtney of G2. You didn't think fascism was dead, did you? Just because you and your boys killed a few Germans. Oh, the word's dead, all right. We'll never call it fascism again. But you'll be hearing from us. From you, we'll only hear a faint squeal from the gas chamber, Fremont. Yeah? You'll never get me. Oh, by the way, Hood, I knew you were pretty smart. But I didn't think you'd spot me. What mistake did I make? In leaving that Sigma Xi key in the dead girl's hand. Hey, but Greg, you said the key didn't have any name on it. Exactly. That was the point, Lou. 
Any genuine key, such as Major Courtney owned, has the name on it, doesn't it, Major? Yes, invariably. So the absence of the name suggested that it was a dummy key. You were playing a scientist in your picture, Fremont, and so you were obviously wearing a prop key to give authenticity to the past. Careless of you to let the dying girl wrench it off your watch chain in the struggle. Yes, wasn't it? I must watch blunders like that in the future. Gregory Hood, I don't like you. Gunfire is pretty common on this set. And I think I'll give you a little treat. Tremont, you haven't a chance of getting out of this studio. You should know that. And think of the publicity it'll give us, Phil. It'll be terrific. It'll be sensitive. Shut up, will you, little rat? What do you say? Mr. Gregory ought to mind your own business, Hood. I'd say look out, above you. Do you expect me to fall for... Oh! Oh! It's got him! A falling paint bucket. Oh, boy, knocked him out cold. Gee, but you're lucky, Greg. A fine detective I am, saved from being shot only by a freak accident. But it wasn't an accident, Mr. Robin Hood. Cheaper. Hey, look up there on the catwalk. It's little Ann Norwood. And darling, how can I thank you? Yes, darling, it's a date. And you dance beautifully. So do you, Mr. I'm afraid I'm a little short for you, though. Not a bit of it, Anne. I like my women petite. By the way, young lady, perhaps you'll tell me how you happen to be up on the catwalk this afternoon. Well, Mr. Hood, when you went out of my dressing room with Major Courtney... I could see by your face that something was wrong. I got scared for you, so I stepped out of the dressing room and... And uh, shadowed me, huh? Yes. I got to stage eight ahead of you and climbed the ladder to the catwalk so that I could see what was going on. Did I hurt Mr. Fremont when I toppled that paint bucket over on him? Not seriously, Anne. But you stunned him and probably saved my life. How can I ever repay you? Well, there... There is one way, Mr. Hood. What is it, Anne? You told me at lunch that... Well, that you'd never married because you hadn't met the right woman. That's right, Anne. Keep on waiting, Mr. Hood. Please keep on waiting. That tree wine brings you... The Casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to the story of Gregory Hood's Suspect, another exciting adventure from the casebook of Gregory Hood. And as for me right now, I'd like to suggest a delicious new dessert, peaches in Petri California Muscatel wine. Just imagine juicy, golden sweet peaches flavored by the wine that goes with them perfectly. Petri Muscatel. Sounds good, doesn't it? But you'll never know just how good till the first bite. Absolutely delicious and easy to prepare, too. You just drain the juice from canned peaches, cook the syrup till slightly thickened, mix with twice the amount of Petri Muscatel, pour over the peaches and chill for two hours. Just be sure you use Petri Muscatel. Because you know that Petri Muscatel is really special. A sweet, clear, golden wine with a full, rich flavor. It's really good. Try it tomorrow night for dessert. Peaches and Petri Muscatel. You can serve Petri Muscatel proudly because those five letters P-E-T-R-I spell the proudest name in the long history of fine wines. Petri.
Well, once again, it's Monday night in San Francisco, and time for our weekly date with Gregory Hood and his friend and attorney, Sanderson Taylor. Tonight, Greg suggested we rendezvous at that gourmet's paradise, Emilio's on Powell Street. Let's join him there, shall we? Hello there, Harry. Evening, Greg. How are you, Mr. Taylor? Fine, thank you, Harry. Oh, we just ordered a couple of sherries, Harry. Shall I make it three? Swell, Greg. I'd like one. I'll make that three, Mario. Yes, Mr. Hudson. Well, Greg, how's about tonight's story? From the hint you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a yarn. It was, Harry. Though if Greg had listened to me, he'd never been mixed up in the mess. If I listened to you, Sandy, I'd keep out of a lot of trouble, I'm sure, but I'd probably die of boredom. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, I always was a sucker for beauty and distress. Uh... That's the way a good many stories of yours start, it seems to me. Oh, me? I'm just the poor man, Sir Walter Raleigh. <laughs> Who was this particular damsel in distress? A sultry brunette by the name of Daphne. Uh, Daphne Bloggs. Oh, now we'll skip the Bloggs, Sandy. It strikes a discordant <laughs> note. <laughs> uh, Daphne was a girl I'd known quite well when I was staying down in Burlingame a couple of summers ago. I lost track of her for a while, and then we ran into each other at the theater a few weeks ago. I was catching a performance of that swell play, The Hasty Heart. Oh, yeah. During intermission, I was getting some air when a voice behind me said... Hello, Greg. Daphne. How well, nice to see you again. Thanks, Greg. I saw you inside, so I thought I'd catch you at intermission and say hello. Oh, I'm glad you did. How about some supper after the performance tonight? Well, yes, I suppose so. Said she with violent enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, what's wrong, Daphne? Where's that champagne sparkle you used to have? Haven't you been getting the proper vitamins lately? Greg's in trouble. Desperate trouble. I'm sorry, Daphne. What's wrong? I'm, I'm being blackmailed. Blackmailed? Greg, I'm... Now, let's step over here. Now, let's get the deal straight. Who's trying to blackmail you and what's his hold? Read this note. I found it pinned to the seat of my car when I started out tonight. Uh-huh. Plain manuscript paper typed in capitals. Blackmail as usual, bold approach. Uh, if you don't wish your father to have proof of last week's convenient car breakdown in Reno, bring $1,000 to the office of Jethro Bronson on Montgomery. If you don't tell the story, with photostatic copy, will be sent to your father. Dirty rats. Do you know this Jethro Bronson, Daphne? No, Greg, I've never heard of him. What's the true dope on this Reno story? Oh, it's all perfectly innocent. I was up there with Martin Johnson last Friday. Martin Johnson, he's married, isn't he? Of course, his wife's my best friend. She's in New York, and Martin and I thought it'd be fun to drive up to Reno for the day and do some gambling. I see. We started back late, and the car did break down. We couldn't get it fixed, and we had to spend the night in an auto court. But it was all perfectly innocent, Gray. Well, couldn't you explain that to your father? You remember, Dad, he's Victorian to the core. Oh. Yes, I seem to recall that he asked me my intentions the first time I called on you. Of course, I didn't tell him. He'd never understand. In any case, I've already lied to him simply because I knew he wouldn't believe the truth. I said I spent Friday night with a girlfriend, and he checked on that alibi. Of course, the girl backed me up. And now, if you did tell him the truth, he'd think the worst, huh? Of course he would. Greg, what am I going to do? I, I can't go to the police because they go straight to Dad. I certainly can't raise a thousand dollars. Well, even if you could, darling, I wouldn't let you hand it over. Then what can I do? Uncle Greg will take care of it. First of all, let's go back and see the rest of the show. After that, we'll go out to supper, and I'll make a phone call. Now, Greg, please be careful what you say. Now, don't worry, Daphne. I'm going to call Sandy Taylor. He's my pal and a very smart attorney, and discretion is his middle name. I think this is a case where we don't make any move without taking legal advice.
seldom stop at one payment. Sure, but I've no intention of letting her make any payment. She hasn't a dough in any case. Sandy, have you ever heard of this guy, Jethro Brunson? Never. I looked him up in the phone. Oh? He's got offices on Montgomery Street, all right. Well, I think I'll call on him in the morning as Daphne's representative. Eh, better let me go, Greg. I can handle him. Oh, but you're so doggone ethical, Sandy. With a rodent like this, a clip on the jaw could do a lot more good than throwing 20 books of law at him. Now, oh, Sandy, I think I'll call on Mr. Jethro Brunson. Well, okay, Greg, but watch your step. Blackmailers usually know all the answers. I'll watch it, Sandy. But don't be surprised if you hear a squeal for help from Montgomery Street in the morning. I have a feeling I may land myself in a whole mess of trouble. I'm Miss Carter, Mr. Bronson's secretary, Mr. Hood. You have no appointment. No, Miss Carter, but I think if you tell him I'm a friend of Daphne Bloggs, he'll see me. Miss Daphne Bloggs. Just a moment, please. Bronson will see you, Mr. Hood. Oh, the name of Bloggs works miracles, doesn't it? Thank you, Miss Carter. You're welcome. Yeah, come and sit down, Mr. Hood. I'll walk around, thanks. You have quite an office, Mr. Bronson. Yeah, I'm so glad you like it. I do. I was admiring the chaste simplicity of your lettering on the outer door. Jethro Bronson. Nothing more. Is more necessary? You might have added abandoned hope or you did enter here or something equally appropriate. I don't think that I understand you, Mr. Hurd. Sure, you're just a bewildered businessman who can't understand a new client. Hey, you have a swell view of the day from here, as far as I can judge by peering through these dirty windows. <laughs> you're due for a cleaning, Mr. Hood. And so is Daphne Bloggs. I presume you represent her. I do. You brought the money? businessman is confused no longer. No, Bronson, I didn't bring the money. I thought first I'd like to see the evidence. You can see a photostatic copy of it. Here. Oh. Bronson, you'd have to get on a stepladder to pass the time of day with a louse, wouldn't you? Very funny, Mr. Hood. You own these auto courts, Bronson? Yes. It was a profitable investment. I'll bet especially when you can fix up the registrations this way. You knew that Miss Bloggs' father was a rich man, I suppose? Mr. Hood, I assure you, I know all that's necessary about the family. When do I get the money? I'll give you a check now. A check? <laughs> oh, no, Hood, I'm no fool. I want cash, and I want unmarked bills of low denomination, and I'd like the cash today. Okay. I'll go over to the bank. Hood, I don't like the way you're fingering that paper knife of mine. Don't let its sharpness give you any stupid ideas. I have a revolver in this drawer, you know. Don't worry, Bronson. If I did anything to a rat like you, I wouldn't use a knife. I'd use... Yeah, why not? Keep away from me! <coughs> ah, that was a pleasure. Have a nice nap, Mr. Bronson. I'll be back in a flash with the cash. $1,000, Mr. Hood. You got the numbers on these bills, Barney? Yeah. <laughs> Up to some new trickery on one of your cases? Oh, fairly old trickery, I'm afraid. Thanks. Just a minute. I'll let you out. Oh, you locked up? Yeah. You got in just under the wire. Well, Mr. Hood, good luck with your trick. Luck? 
Thanks. I have a hunch I may need it. Mr. Bronson again, Mr. Hood? I don't wish to, but I have to, Miss Carter. Senator Harrison is waiting to see him, too. Oh, well, I'll take my turn. How are you, Senator? Oh. I haven't seen you since that last get-together at the Bohemian Grove. Well, bless my soul, it's young Gregory Hood. Uh, how are you, my boy? Fine, thank you, sir. And what is the great politician doing here, may I ask? Or maybe I shouldn't. Uh, well, I, uh, I have certain business with this fellow Bronson. And what, may I ask, is this celebrated Gregory Hood doing here? Certain business also, Senator. Uh-huh. Oh, Mr. Hood, I I didn't realize you were the Gregory Hood. I'm flattered that you've heard of me, Miss Carter. Just the same, what's the chance of accelerating our interviews with Mr. Bronson? He is in, isn't he? Yes, he's talking on long distance. I'll see if he's through. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Hood, uh, yeah? you've had dealings with this man Bronson before? No, Senator, this is my first unhappy experience. Well, he's a non-mitigated scoundrel, Hood. I've often thought that I... What the devil? What? What's wrong, Miss Carter? Oh, get the police! Get the police! Now look here, young lady. What happened? It's Mr. Bronson. He's been murdered. Police are taking the devil's old time with their examination, Sergeant. Why don't they question us? I'm a busy man. I'm sorry, Senator, but there's nothing I can do. Well, who's in charge of this case, Sergeant? Lieutenant Magruder, Mr. Hood. Magruder? Huh? Well, that makes it tough for me. Where's Lieutenant Silvers? He's on vacation, Mr. Hood. Oh, then I am in trouble. It's a good thing I put in a call to Sandy Taylor. I may need a smart attorney. Okay, Miss Carter. Don't leave the office. Come in, Hood. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant, I'm a very busy man. Can't you take me first? No, Senator, you'll have to take your turn. Come on, Hood. Sit down. I find your old world charm irresistible. Thank you, Lieutenant. Hood, I've waited a long time to catch you out on a limb. Now I've done it. Why do you hate me so much, Magruder? Because you're an amateur dick who thinks he can make monkeys out of the police. We don't tell you how to run your business. Why do you make you submit yourself up with ours? I don't. Consciously, it mixes itself up with me. Is that a fact? Well, you're mixed up in this one, but good. Let me see your right hand. Oh, it's a little dirty, what's that? No. Hmm, your knuckle skin. There's a bruise on the corpse's chin. You sucked him, didn't you, Hood? Yes, Sherlock, I did. Why? Because I didn't like him. Why were you here? We know he was a blackmailer, though we could never pin anything on him. He have something on you? On me, no. Then you were stooging for somebody else. Who was it? I ain't talking, as they say, Magruder. Mm-hmm. You'll talk to the judge, Hood. Because I'm arresting you on suspicion of murder. Wow, that's very interesting. If you do that, Magruder, you'll end up with those tired arches of yours pounding a beat again. Skip the comedy, Hood. It won't get you off this spot. Oh, great. Sandy, I'm certainly glad to see you. Yeah, I got here as fast as I could. Lieutenant Magruder, meet my attorney, Sanderson Taylor. You don't have to introduce us, Hood. Mr. Taylor and I know each other. Uh, yes, sir. What goes, Gray? The lieutenant's got a vacancy for me in death row, I think. Mr. Taylor, I'm just about to arrest your friend on suspicion of murdering Jethro Bronson. What? On what evidence? He admits that he slugged the dead man. That doesn't prove murder, Lieutenant. But this paper knife does. Bronson was stabbed with it. I powdered it for fingerprints. Your prints are on it, Hood. I had them checked. This fast? Uh-huh. 
I've been looking forward to this day ever since that fisherman's wharf business. Oh. You really do have it in for me, don't you, Lieutenant? Great. Did you handle this knife? Sure I did, but I didn't stab the guy with it. Can I look at those prints on the knife, Lieutenant? Yeah. But don't handle it. Don't worry. I won't mess up Exhibit A. I, uh, want to arrest him, Mr. Taylor. If you do, Lieutenant, I'll have him out on a writ before you can spell habeas corpus. Well, that should give us several hours start. Oh, very funny, Mr. Hood. But you're not going to laugh your way out of this one. Hey, Magruder, even though you hate me, I'd like to save your badge and your arsenic to book me on the evidence of these prints, Lieutenant. Sure. And I'd like to point out a small inconsistency. The faint old prints of Bronson's, I suppose. Yeah? And these two heavy new ones are mine? Sure they are. Fine. But there are only two prints. The thumbprint on the face of the handle, the forefinger print on the back. That's the way you hold a knife when you play with it, as I did, or when you open letters. But you couldn't possibly hold it that way in only two fingers to stab a man. Well, of course not. If you were stabbing a man, the prints of all the fingers would be on the handle. What do you say, Lieutenant? I, uh, I guess you're right. But why aren't there murderer's prints on here? I'd say the answer to that would be a pair of gloves. And if you want to make an issue of my prints being on the knife, I'll be very happy. It's perfect evidence that I didn't kill Jethro Bronson. Okay, Hood. You've talked yourself out of this one for a minute or two. But before this case is over, I'm warning you. This is going to be the last chapter in the case book of Gregory Hood. While Gregory Hood takes a brief time out from tonight's adventure, I'd like to remind you again about that swell Petri California Muscatel and Peaches. Petri Muscatel goes mighty well with peaches in most any form, such as peach cake, peach cookies, and peach shortcake. Yes, the wonderful flavor of Petri Muscatel really does something to desserts made with peaches. There are plenty of luscious canned peaches in the markets now. You can always get Petri Muscatel at your store, and in nearly every locality, your dealer will be glad to give you a little recipe folder which gives four wonderful ways to serve peaches with Petri Muscatel. Just be sure you buy Petri Muscatel, because all Petri wines are good wines. Well, Greg, for a moment there, you had me worried. I thought my favorite amateur detective was going to be arrested for murder. <laughs> for a moment there, I had me worried. <laughs> Lieutenant Magruder's a tough hombre, and Gregory Hood is very far from his favorite detective. But he let you go. Yes. And Sandy and I gravitated to the Prosperity Corner Bar and quickly went into a huddle. Oh, Greg, you're still under suspicion, and we've got to clear you. Very true, Sandy, and the more I brood about the case, the more I incline to one opinion. Huh? And that is? Well, Sandy, Magruder told us what Miss Carter testified. Yes. She said that she talked to Bronson before he made the phone call. She came into the outer office where you and Senator Harrison were waiting. And the next time she went in, Bronson was dead. Exactly, which would mean that if her testimony is true, that she's the only person who could have committed the murder. Unless, of course, an especially adroit seagull flew through his window and did the deed. If she did stab him, it wouldn't be hard to think of a motive. I've known people before who worked for blackmailers simply because their employer was blackmailing them, too. Sure, but if she were the killer, surely she'd dream up an alibi. Yeah. Maybe she saw you handling the knife and thought your fingerprints would pin the rap on you. Well, it's possible. Huh? Or it might have been Senator Harrison. It's pretty obvious that he wasn't there purely for a social call. Yes, yeah, Sandy, I can see the possibility of motive. It's the how of this killing that worries me. The dead man's office was on the ninth floor. Uh-huh. The only exit was through his door. Miss Carter saw him alive, walked outside to where the senator and I were waiting. She goes back a few minutes later. He's dead. Yeah. Well, the evidence would certainly point towards the secretary. 
Say, Greg, how's about the girl Daphne Bloggs? She'd uh, know as well as we do that Bronson's death would put her in the clear. That's a good murder motive in itself. Well, true, Sandy, but I repeat, how? Daphne's a very cunning girl, but she can't float through a window nine stories high. No, that's true. It looks like a blank wall, Greg, but we've got to get around. Or over it. Well, Sandy, I think the next step is obvious. You're going to see the secretary, Miss Carter. Right. Huh? I have her address. She lives on Russian Hill. But I'm worried. Huh? What? I'm an ardent whodunit fan, and she's the obvious suspect by all the rules that can't be her. Oh, well, this is real life. Let's call on her and see what happens. <laughs> Mr. Hood, I'll be glad to help you any way I can. I thought you would be, Miss Carter. You see, my friend is still under suspicion by the police. I realize that, Mr. Taylor. And I must confess that if I hadn't known you were the Mr. Hood, I would have suspected you myself. Well, you wouldn't have been the only one in your suspicion. Miss Carter, uh, did you know that your employer's profession was blackmail? Blackmail? No, I, I certainly didn't. Though I did know he was crooked. A blackmailer. I wonder why Senator Harrison was there. Do you suppose Mr. Bronson had some hold over him and that the senator killed him? When did he have the opportunity? Oh, that's true. He never went past me, and there's no other door. He didn't even go in after you left the office. He and I watched each other like hawkshaws until the police arrived. You left the office, Miss Carter? Yes, Mr. Taylor. After I called the police, I... I was sick. What's your own theory, Miss Carter? Well, I, I didn't have one until I looked at this newspaper, Mr. Hood. Have you seen it? No. What ties in? Well, I spotted this on the back page. Huh? Oh, I may be imagining things, but it seems to me that it might connect. Hmm. What's it say, Greg? You're a very smart girl, Miss Carter. Listen to this, Sandy. A man was arrested in Montgomery Street late this afternoon. He claimed to have been doped, but the police are holding him on a vagrancy charge. What does that have to do with Bronson's murder? Because it says here he was a professional window cleaner. Window? Well, I still don't see I do. It. Bronson said that his windows were due for a cleaning. You can see what happened. The murderer doped the window cleaner, borrowed his equipment, worked his way around the Bronson's window, went in and stabbed him, and then made his getaway. It's the only way an outside person could have gotten in. Then let's go and talk to the window cleaner, then. Sure, Sandy. He's in jail, and that's one place that I'm sure will have no difficulty in gate crashing. <laughs> That's the way it was, Mr. Hood. I was standing in the corridor just filling my pipe, and I smell something sweet. Next thing I know, I'm down in the basement. Must have taken me down the service elevator. Sounds like chloroform, Sandy. Uh-huh, yes, sir. What time was this, Hank? Oh, I don't know. Middle of the afternoon, I guess. Well, don't you carry a watch? <laughs> no. My profession, it's too risky. Might fall down and break the bejeepers out of it. Occupational hazard. <laughs> yeah. Have you any idea what time it was, Hank? No, but it was sometime in the afternoon because I could hear a radio in one of the offices and they was given the race results. And they're always at the same time in the afternoon. How much of it did you hear? The announcer was starting to give the results of the fourth race, just as he named the horse. Uh, it was Lady Best. I heard that, and next thing I knew, I was waking up downstairs. The track broadcast swell, Hank. But you don't carry a watch, you've given me a dandy time check. Well, how do you mean, Greg? All I have to do is call the radio station. Hank was knocked out as the fourth race was announced. As soon as I know the time of that, I think we'll have the answer to murder. Yeah? Yeah? Well, then the fourth race was announced at exactly 12 minutes past three. I'm much obliged to you. There's that time check, Sandy. Well, I, I don't get it, Greg. I think I... I do. This whole case revolves around time. 
The bank closes at three. How long do you suppose it took me to walk from there to Bronson's office? Well, it isn't more than a block. A couple of minutes? Just about, and maybe another minute in the elevator. I think this gives us the answer, Sandy. Let me make another phone call to Lieutenant Magruder, and then we'll go back to Miss Carter's apartment on Russian Hill. I think that's where we're going to get the final payoff. of you to bring me a corsage, Mr. Hood. Well, I think you deserved one, Miss Carter. If you hadn't spotted that item about the window cleaner, this case might still be unsolved. They've arrested the murderer? Magruder's got a warrant out. Who is it? Sandy's an attorney. Let him lay it on the line for you. Well, this whole case revolves around the matter of time. Very true, Sandy. Go on. The killer, after drugging the window cleaner, had to take his belt, crawl out, and work his way around to Bronson's window. Now, we know that the window cleaner wasn't drugged until 12 minutes past 3. You established that fact when you called the radio station. Exactly, Sandy. So, if the window cleaner wasn't drugged until 12 minutes past 3, the murder couldn't have been committed before 3.15. That's the logical deduction, Sandy. And it's also where the whole case blows up. Uh, what? How do you mean, Mr. Hood? Miss Carter, it's a problem in primary mathematics. I got to my bank at closing time. I was let out a few moments later. It took me two minutes to walk to the office building, say, another minute in the elevator. I was in the office with you not more than a minute before you went in and found the corpse. I still don't understand, Mr. Hood. Well, I go over it again, and you count on your fingers, Miss Carter. I left the bank at one minute past three, two minutes to walk to the office, a minute in the elevator, and a minute in the outer office would add up to four at the latest five minutes past three. And at five minutes past three, you went back in the office, and he was dead. Yes, Greg, that's right. Uh Uh-huh. But on the other hand, the window cleaner, who was to become our number one suspect, wasn't drugged until more than five minutes afterward. Afterwards? But why, Mr. Hood? Miss Carter, you make a pretty picture of innocence, but I don't know who you think you're fooling. What do you mean? The whole thing is obvious now. You killed Bronson. Then when the senator spoke to me, you realized I was the Mr. Hood, as you put it, so you know it wasn't safe to frame me. So she dreamed up the idea of drugging the window cleaner and then drew the fact to your attention. Sure, Sandy was a neat idea, a very neat idea. If there hadn't been a cast-iron time check on the whole deal. You're very quiet, Miss Carter. You said that Lieutenant Magruder had a warrant out. That was just to lead us into this conversation. Magruder wouldn't believe a word I say. But Lieutenant Silvers will be back soon. He'll believe me. You'll never talk to him. And your friend either. Uh, put that revolver away, Miss Carter. Surely one murder a day is enough. One or three, it doesn't make much difference, Mr. Taylor. Why did you kill Bronson? He was blackmailing me, too. What hold did he have on you? Well, my husband was overseas. I wasn't playing square. Oh, and Bronson found out, huh? Yes, and I only learned about it yesterday. So you stabbed him and then dreamed up the window cleaner gag. Yes. I knew that the windows were due to be cleaned today, and I suddenly saw how I could establish a perfect cover-up. It was a perfect cover-up, Miss Carter. If it weren't for the fact that we can establish the time element... Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You went into Bronson's office after I left. You found him where I knocked him out cold. You stabbed him. Then after you called the police when you said you were sick, you left the office and drugged the window cleaner, took him down in the service elevator, and hoped we'd fall for the idea that the murder had been committed by someone coming in through the window. Is that right? Yes, that's what I'd hoped. It's a pity you had to be so smart. I really don't want to shoot you, but I must. Uh, Miss Carter? It's the only way. Magruder! Thank you. I'll take care of that gun. I came as soon as you called me, Hood. I didn't trust you, but I figured I might as well listen. I came up on the fire escape. Nice of the young lady to leave her window open. Well, McGrody, have your confession. 
And also, I hope you realize that you've got a nasty, suspicious mind where I'm concerned. Okay, Hood. You were right. This time. And I don't mind getting at the rights of a case. Even if an amateur has to help me. <laughs> but one of these days, you're going to start something you can't finish. I hope not, Lieutenant, but it's possible. You're darn right it is. And when that happens, it's my last prayer every night that I'll be the cop on that case. Thank <laughs> you.